you know, uh, this week I came on the campus on Monday morning and uh, came to the regular meetings we have on Monday morning. And as I drove in, there was something going on. People were lining up on the street and we had partnered with Pinnacle Realty and, and uh, we used our space to distribute some turkeys they had. And so hundreds of turkeys and, and uh, other provisions for a Thanksgiving meal went out to those in need. And then on Tuesday, we did our fresh market. And uh, as Troy said, there's stuff going on on our campus all the time. And because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness to giving the Lord's work, we're able to host things like that. We're able to engage in ministries like uh, Fresh Market, our food pantry, even our toy drive. Those make a difference. And, uh, and your giving to the regular offerings of Calvary, especially at this Christmas, really do make a difference in the lives of people who are in need. You know, it's a part of who we are at Calvary. We want to learn to live and love like Jesus more and more every day as we walk with God, as we get to know him more and become more like Jesus. And we've talked these last few weeks about how in the midst of all the noise of, of the, the COVID pandemic, of the election, of the division and strife, and, and the, um, the, the tensions in our country, in our world, that it's important for us as the followers of Jesus Christ to recenter to find our footing, to understand where we are right now. I mentioned to you the first week in this series how we, how we use like a Google Maps where you kind of can get into looking at the whole route you're planning and get into specifics and directions and, and you kind of can get lost in where you actually are and what's the next step. And there's a little button called Recenter where you discover where you are and where you need to go next and what the next direction will be. And that's where we are in this series called Recenter. We want to get back to where we are, where God says we need to focus, and what we need to do next. And if we're going to live and love like Jesus in this world that so desperately needs to see the reality and hope of Christ lived out in his followers, then there are three passions that are going to be core to who we are as individuals and who we are corporately together as a congregation, as a body of believers known as Calvary Community Church. And those three passions are we're going to love God more. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jesus, uh, quoting the Old Testament, said that the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we looked last week at the second passion. Not only do we love God more, but we love people more. And Jesus uh, told his disciples that they were to love one another. We talked about how challenging that was and what a diverse group of individuals, but they were united in Christ and uh, they were to love each other. And that love would be a magnet to those outside the household of faith that they would come to Christ. So last week we looked at what it meant to love people more as we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and went over to John 13. This week, we're going to look at the third and final of these three passions. We're going to talk about how we love more people, how we get beyond our comfort zones, how we, how we go beyond those that are normally a part of our lives, those we would include in our friendships and in our circles of influence, and how we love more people. And so we're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can use a mobile device to get there in a mobile Bible app. Uh, Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37. If you've been around Calvary for any length of time, you know this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one that I'm a little obsessed with in the sense that I think there is so much for us to learn from the story Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. And, and I'm obsessed with it because I think there's so much for us to mine, for us to draw out of this, for us to learn. And I think that um, I've just scratched the surface on what it means to love my neighbor 
as the example of the Good Samaritan illustrates and as Jesus gives this story that is so impactful and powerful in how we need to be others oriented and love more people. Today, as we look into Luke 10, 25 to 37, I want us to understand very clearly that when we love more people as a way of everyday living, we're constantly looking for people we can love beyond our normal spheres of influence. Others see and are drawn to the radical love of Christ in us. They're drawn to that. And they see something distinct and different. It's God's love flowing through us. It's not some human level love. This is a divine love that moves through us toward others. Now let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The uh, verses are here on the screen. You can follow along here, or you can follow along in your Bible or on your mobile device. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man's response, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a quote from the Old Testament, and this is what the man uh, says to Jesus. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he wanted to, to make a point here. He's got something to say. He's trying to trick Jesus and trip Jesus up. So he says to Jesus, he asks, who is my neighbor. Now, we look at that and we say, well, our neighbor is someone next door to us or across the street from us. But there was a debate in that time of who your neighbor was. And Jesus is going to blow away all of the lines they'd drawn in the debates of all the regulations and laws the religious leaders had added. And he is going to just blow their minds on who really is our neighbor. Once we love God with everything, we've got that vertical relationship, right? Then we get the horizontal of loving our neighbor. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now this man is traveling down 17 miles of windy, rocky desert area. It's a little tiny path that sometimes is no more than a foot and a half to two feet wide. And then it widens at other places. Uh, perhaps the spot where these robbers take him is a, is a crevice in these rocky hills where no one would see what happened and he couldn't be heard in the attack. Uh, some even say, suggest, some Bible scholars say that in Psalm 23, when it talks about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That valley reference that's made by David in Psalm 23, many scholars believe is the same location in this deserted desert area, this, this desolate place where this man is attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this man is barely alive. A priest happened to be going down the same road, probably leaving his responsibilities at the temple in Jerusalem. And he's moving down back to perhaps Jericho where he's from, or maybe even beyond. And so he is concluding his duties. And when he saw the man, okay, you'd think a priest. And as Jewish people are hearing Jesus tell this story, a priest, what's he going to do? He could be made unclean by this man. He passed by on the other side. He went all the way around. He saw him, but he ignored him and went the other side. So too, a Levite. Now that would be someone who's committed to serving in the temple to make sure all the, the rituals and rites and sacrifices were carried out correctly. He comes by when he came to the place and saw him. He sees the man. He sees what's happened. The man's bleeding. He's half dead. He passed by on the other side. 
Now, those listening would say, well, that makes sense because both of them have responsibilities and they're trying to get back to their families after a time in Jerusalem, away from home, serving in the temple. They would be defiled if they touched a, a body that was dead. They weren't sure, so they just ignored it and went on. Then we read in verse 33, as Jesus tells this story with a Jewish audience, but a Samaritan, and that is the, 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 the kind of the climax of this story in the sense of drawing their attention, but a Samaritan. Oh man, these people listening panic because the Samaritan is just going to take whatever's left of this man, whatever he has on him that's left that wasn't already taken, and they're gonna, he's going to steal it because Samaritans and Jews had been at war for centuries, and they hated one another, although they lived in proximity, and the Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. There was this tension, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was. So just like the priest and Levite, he comes where the man was, and he saw him, just like the priest and Levite. He took pity on him. He's moved with compassion for this man's situation. And then verse 34 says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now that's a risk. Because as he's carrying a half-dead Jewish man, this Samaritan might look like he's guilty of robbing this man and, and traveling with his, his corpse or, or his almost lifeless body. But he's willing to take that risk to care for them. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You take care of him. Here's a blank check. I want to make sure this man's okay. And when I come back, I'll repay you. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the man who said, who is my neighbor, said the one who had mercy on him. And it was hard for him to say that. Because he knows the priest and Levite ignored. And this man that he's identifying as the true neighbor to the wounded man is a Samaritan. And so maybe he even says these words slowly. And, and with regret, the one who had mercy on him, the Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love this story because it is not only... Uh, counterintuitive for the day in which Jesus lived. It still is counterintuitive. And I think in a time of COVID, in a time when our nation is so politically divided, when there's so much tension, there's, there's so much assumption that the other side or the other person or the other perspective is so wrong and so evil and so bad. And, and the same comes back at us from those who disagree with us. It's important for us to understand who our neighbor is. And what our responsibilities are as the followers of Jesus Christ to love them, to love more people. G.K. Chesterton said, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. Sometimes we don't get along with our neighbors. We've got a, a, a tense neighbor relationship and we need to learn to love them even if they have done things that have bothered us or offended them and then uh, us. And then we need to look beyond our own spheres of influence, our own friendships, our own, own uh, groups we normally work with or travel with or, or spend life with and we need to love more people. Well, I think you see in the story of the Good Samaritan five characteristics of those who love 
more people. Those who are constantly looking beyond their friendships and their acquaintances, they're, they're doing this in person and online. They're doing it individually as a follower of Christ. They're doing it collectively with other believers as a part of a local church like Calvary Community Church. There are traits that describe those who, yes, love God more and love people more, but then they love more people. That love overflows into the lives of others as described here in Luke chapter 10. Well, the first thing that I think we see, the characteristic of those who love more people is this. Those who love more people assume everyone is their neighbor and treat no one as their enemy. They assume everyone is their neighbor and treat no one as their enemy. You see, when the man asked, who is my neighbor? He was asking a question that was debated among the religious leaders of the day. They would say, your neighbor is someone who lives two doors down from you, but not three doors down from you. Or your neighbor is someone who holds to the same faith you hold to. Or your neighbor is someone who is in the same family background as you or tribal background as you in Israel. But Jesus blows the doors off their understanding of the definition of neighbor. Your, your neighbor is the person who's in your path, the person who's in your life right now. It has nothing to do with the proximity to where they live in terms of where you live. It has to do with where they are in terms of where you are. We come across neighbors all the time. We do that in person. We do that online. We're to love our neighbor online as well. We're to care about those that we're making comments on their post or, or we're interacting with them on someone else's post. You may not even know them. And you say, well, I can be this way to them because I don't know them. They don't know me. It's almost anonymous. And I can say this nasty thing or this, this cutting, rude thing. No. We've got to assume that everyone is our neighbor and we treat no one as our enemy. In verse 33, this stunning little phrase, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. This Samaritan became the neighbor to this Jew who was wounded by mere proximity of their paths crossing and their lives coming together. Luke 6, 27 to 28, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Luke. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Have you been doing that in 2020? I've struggled to live that out. There have been some incredible things I've disagreed with in terms of the shutdowns and the regulations and the guidelines we've lived under. There have been things I've disagreed with politically that have gone on in this year. And I found myself getting an animosity building up toward other people, other humans, and pushing them away and not believing them to be my neighbor. It's important for us to understand that Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's hard. And bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Have you been doing with that? Paul would say in Romans 12, 19 through 20, do not take refuge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do you get the focus here? In doing so, you heap uh, burning coals on his head. That's not the idea that you're putting fire on top of him. It means his fire's gone out at his home where they cook and they warm their home. And so he comes to you for some hot coals that can get the fire going again. It's an act of kindness. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. We need to be proactive and caring about others. We need to assume that everyone is our neighbor and treat no one like our enemy. Martin Luther King Jr. said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. How are you doing at loving the people in person or online that cross your path? How are you doing in the words you use, the attitude, the spirit by which you say things, by, by the way you interact with that individual? This Samaritan, who should have hated this Jew, looks at him as another human being made in the image of God, who has needs, and he reaches out to meet those needs. All the tensions of the animosity their people have to one another drop to the sidelines as, they, as he sees the need of this man. You gotta love your neighbor. Love your Jewish neighbor. Love your Muslim neighbor. Love your gay neighbor. Love your black neighbor. Love your rich neighbor. Love your white neighbor. Love your Republican neighbor. Love your Democrat neighbor. Love your addicted neighbor. Love your racist neighbor. Love your atheist neighbor. Love your rude neighbor. Love your immoral neighbor. Love your homeless neighbor. Love your neighbor, Jesus said. And our neighbor is the one who comes across our path. For this Samaritan, it was this Jewish man who it would have been easy for him to ignore, and everyone would have understood that, but he does something unusual and radical, and he loves this man others say he shouldn't love. Those who love more people assume everyone is their neighbor and treat no one as their enemy. Secondly, those who love more people value everyone in their path and see no one as an obstacle. They value everyone in their path and they see no one as their obstacle. Verses 31 and 32, the priest and the Levite, these religious leaders, they're described as seeing the same man in the same condition before the Samaritan arrives. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. To them, this man was an obstacle in their path rather than a person to be loved. But people who love more people value everyone in their path and see no one as an obstacle. How about you? You got an assignment or you on to the next appointment to the point that you ignore the needs of people around you? Just three or four weeks ago, I left the office here late in the afternoon. It was probably 5.30. Called my wife. She asked me to pick up something that she had ordered online at Target that was available over here in Westlake Village. And so I left my office, drove over there. And as I drove in the parking lot and I went down one of the aisles there in the parking area, I passed a U-Haul truck. And um, I didn't think much of it, this big U-Haul truck parked there. And so I went around it and parked right next to it. And as I started to park right next to it, there was actually one space between where I was and the truck. I noticed that its hood was up, the back door was open, and people had pulled out a few chairs and they were seated in that space next to uh, the truck between me and the truck where I was going to park. As I pulled in and I saw them, there was just this immediate reaction with their hood up, and obviously they had some troubles with the truck, I, I pulled right through that space and just acted like I was pulling through, and I pulled up toward the front and found another space. In my mind, I thought I don't have time to even make any acknowledgement that they might be in trouble or need help, or did they find the kind of help they need? Were they able to reach someone? And so I just went and parked up uh, toward the front. And as I got out of the car, I thought of Luke 10. 
I thought of the priest and the Levite. And then I realized these people had become an obstacle in my path. And so I found myself walking all the way back and I uh, spoke to them. And it turns out that uh, uh, the man had retired from the armed services and was down at Camp Pendleton. They were moving up to Washington State to be near family. I thanked him for his service. Then I asked if they needed anything. They said they had someone coming from U-Haul to help them. But they appreciated my stopping to check on them because I was the only one who had done that. And I didn't have the heart to tell them I almost ignored you and just went on my way. And they really didn't need my help. But I realized that my attitude and my spirit was these people aren't my problem. They're an obstacle. They're a problem to me rather than a, 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 an object of love that God wants me to show his love toward. We had a very pleasant chat and I went on my way and, and I prayed that perhaps just my checking in on them was an encouragement. And, but I, I kind of felt like the Lord had sort of taken me to the woodshed, if you will, because I was ready to walk into Target having purposely ignored them. And then God convicted me and, and drew me over there and had a very pleasant conversation. May I encourage you this week to pray that God would open your eyes to people on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and People in your life, in, in the relationships you have, whether you're on a Zoom meeting or you're, you're texting someone or emailing or you're in person communicating with someone, uh, that's becoming a little more rare with all the different restrictions and guidelines right now. But can I just encourage you to open your eyes and notice the people around you? And, and ask the Lord each day when you get up this week, say, Lord, open my eyes and open my heart to see people beyond my normal spheres of influence and help me to see those people and to take a moment, to take the time to step into their lives and show them your love. Lord, open my eyes, open my heart, online, in person, help me to see people. Maybe you could say a word of encouragement to someone who's discouraged because of what others have posted. And say, well, I agree with these people. Well, maybe you could still say a word of encouragement to that person to, to speak into their life. Just ask God to open your eyes and open your heart each day and then be aware of more people in your life, the people you could easily ignore and see as an obstacle in what God has for you in your day. So we need to be like those who love more people and value everyone in our path and see no one as an obstacle. Thirdly, those who love more people sympathize with everyone in need and make no one the exception. They sympathize with everyone in need and make no one the exception. They are moved. They are deeply moved when they see someone hurting, someone in need, someone vulnerable, someone who has been taken advantage of. In verse 33 it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This speaks of the fact that he was deeply moved in the deepest parts of his being, he is moved because of what he sees. There's no sense that the priest or the Levite, these religious Jewish leaders, are moved by what they see has happened to this Jewish man. But a Samaritan who should naturally ignore and hate this man, he is moved with compassion. He is moved with pity. He has mercy on him. We need to be willing to see the needs of others and be moved. I'm so glad that, the, that Jesus himself said that God so loved, that word so in John 3.16 implies God was so moved that he loved us, that he gave his only son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us, was buried and was raised for us. John 3.16 says that whoever believes might have everlasting life and may not face 
eternal death, but would have everlasting life. God was so moved when he saw you in your sin to send Jesus to die for you. He was so moved when he saw me in my sin. He had mercy. He had compassion for us that he sent his son for us. We ought to be moved with compassion for other hurting people, broken, struggling people, people in need, just as God has shown us love. Perhaps you don't completely understand how much God loves you. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son. God the son came and suffered and died for you so that you could be forgiven by God and given a relationship with him forever. Put your faith in Jesus. John 3.16 says, whoever believes, that's you, that's me. If we believe, we put our faith in who Christ is. We just sang about what we believe. Have you believed and put your faith in Christ? Committed your life, your heart, your destiny to him? If you haven't, do so right now where you sit. Just ask him to forgive you based on what Jesus did for you. Ask him to give you new life in Christ. and He will. We'd love to celebrate with you and help you in the steps forward in your new walk with Christ. You can text the name Jesus to the number on the screen below me and uh, we'll send you some encouragement. We'll, we'll come alongside you and make sure you know what it looks like now to walk with Christ in his love, how you begin to show that love to other brothers and sisters in Christ and then how you show that love to more people. Just text the name Jesus to that number. We wanna walk with you. Child of God, are you moved with compassion? Do you have pity? Do you feel the need of others? Do you sympathize? Do you empathize? Have you been through something similar? Luke 6, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Luke 6, 31 through uh, verse 33 says, do to others as you would have them do to you. I think that's what the Samaritan does. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? We talked about this last week. As Jesus said the same thing in, in Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who already love you, that's pretty easy. Even sinners love those who love them. That's easy. And if you do good to those you are, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love more people and care about their needs and sympathize and empathize with them in need and make no exception because of their political position or their attitude or what they did to us at work or what, what happened in this situation or what they posted. I can imagine that this man felt love. This Jewish man who was beaten as he was picked up and placed on that horse by a man who was obviously a Samaritan. He felt that love. Do the people around you feel the love of God because you see their needs and you step into their lives? The poet Maya Angelou wrote, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. When we love someone that others are ignoring, when we step into the life of someone who's in need and we understand that need, we have compassion and pity on them in that need, then God works through us and they feel and sense his love. Not just our love, a human love, but a divine love that he wants to extend to others through his children, through you and me, individually and collectively. As a church, we're to be doing this collectively together as each of us does this in our individual lives. A dear lady here at Calvary named Martha 
who has a, a background from Armenia, has been very concerned about the war that has taken place there. Azerbaijan has uh, gone into the territory of Armenia in some disputed areas, and uh, they have driven people from their homes. There are now refugees who are fleeing, and the, uh, the, the Muslim nation of Azerbaijan is now uh, pushing into this nation that identifies as Christian Armenia, you go back a hundred years and there was the great genocide that occurred against Christians that, that uh, to, to this day hasn't been completely recognized by the world and understood. And I know some of you who have that Armenian background, you, you have relatives who uh, in the past who were taken by the, the atrocities of that genocide. And, and, and there is something happening now with all the noise of what's going on in the world. We've missed what's taking place in this war and how Azerbaijan has been the aggressor and moved into Armenia. And I know Martha emailed me praying, asking me to pray for her family. And we've prayed for the Armenian church. We've prayed for the Armenian people that the body of Christ would be strong during this time. And as we interacted with Martha, we began to understand some of the needs. We decided that some of our efforts needed to be focused in Armenia to partner with a church. We pastored with the evangelical church there uh, that is pastored by Pastor Arto. And this is a picture of Pastor Arto and his three children. His wife died of an infection not related to COVID in any way a year ago. And so he is now a single father of these kids. And his own father, who was the pastor of the church, died this summer. And uh, Arto took over as the pastor of this church there. And now their area, their city, has been overwhelmed with refugees, mostly men and women who have fled the war zone. And uh, these are Christian individuals who are fleeing. And now they're living in other people's homes. And some are living on the streets. And they're these refugees of this war. It's a, it's a very sad and harsh situation. And as Martha talked with us and we reached out to Pastor Ardo, we decided it would be important to send thousands of dollars to help and to help specifically with food for the people there because they're running out of supplies. Of course, in a war area, that happens very quickly. And then these refugees that are flooding into the city, uh, there's just not enough food. And so we, we've provided food for these dear folks. We've We've uh, also worked to provide children's Bibles uh, for kids. They can print them right there. And there's a thousand of them we printed these are so these kids can know the love of Christ. And these Bibles are being given to these children. And then a lot of these refugees, these women and children, especially the children, are not in school now. And their parents are worried. And so they put together uh, a bunch of backpacks, a couple hundred backpacks, uh, through the funds that we sent so they can give them to these refugee kids so they can continue to do schoolwork and read and write and grow and learn in their education. And as Pastor Arto and his evangelical church there in Armenia reach out with these very practical things, they're sharing the hope and love of Christ with others. And they're making sure that these who are fleeing, who are a part of a nation that calls itself Christian, actually know Christ and know him as their savior. And they're ministering and we get to partner. And this is one of those things that, that came across our path collectively as a church. And as you have given to the work here at Calvary, we have been able to give to the church in Armenia. And this is a part of what we want to continue to do and, and be a part of, even through our partners all around the world who has Troy was saying, have stepped in where food chains have broken down and we've been feeding people. We've, we've sent a couple hundred thousand dollars to help partners around the world just feed people in Jesus' name and share with them the hope of Christ. 
And I know my heart was moved in reading Martha's emails. I know Pastor Brian Field, our, our missions and outreach pastor, his heart was moved. We've been moved for the, the people of Armenia and this, this aggression for Azerbaijan. And the, the people there are a part of what God has put in our path. And collectively then, we sympathize with their need. And we cannot look away. We cannot pass by on the other side. We need to lean in. And as we sent those funds, it was enough that it triggered our bank to actually have to call us to confirm the amount of money we were sending to that location and the purpose for that to make sure that it wasn't something illegal that was happening. And um, as Troy was on the phone uh, with this person from the bank confirming this, he, he began to not be able to understand her completely. She had a little bit of an accent, but then her words got even more mumbled and he realized she was crying. And then as he shared that we were sending this to help the church in Armenia, these funds, the woman from the bank began to cry even more and she shared with him that she was from Armenia and she wondered if we knew when she saw the money going there, if we knew what was going on and, and could we help in some way? And then she told him, I see you already are helping. What a blessing. What, what a sweet surprise that was to interact with her in that way. That's something we can do collectively. That's something we do as we give, as we pray, as, as we lean in. And I want to just stop right now and pray for the church in Armenia. There are many who know Christ as a label. It's just Christian because it's a Christian nation. There are others who know Christ personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want those folks to share Jesus even more. I want to stand with them as they do. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray for the church in Armenia. We know that 100 years ago there were atrocities that killed perhaps a million or more people. And we know there is an aggression now that has driven women and children from their homes and men are going to war. And Lord, I pray that you would bring a, a, a ceasing of these hostilities in that area. We pray for Pastor Arto and the church there in Armenia that is ministering to people that have flooded into their town. I pray that you would bless him and his family. He's gone through so much, but he's leading forward. I pray you'd use the food and those Bibles and those backpacks to open hearts to Christ. Lord, we see their need. We want to step in to that need. We pray for the church of Armenia today. In Jesus' name, amen. We sympathize with everyone in need. How about you individually? Do you notice the needs of people around you? Or do you say, oh, that person is just, oh yeah, that's just another one of those kind of people, that kind of person. We need to step into the needs of others and make no exceptions. Fourthly, those who love more people, who get beyond their own comfort zones of the people they already know and, and love more people. Those who love more people, fourthly, risk everything to help a stranger and seek nothing in return. They risk everything to help a stranger and seek nothing in return. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. These are all resources he needs. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. He risked everything to be a Samaritan carrying a beaten up, robbed half-dead Jew on his own donkey. He's going to look like he is guilty. He is going to look like he has done something wrong, but he is willing to risk all to help this stranger. And those who love more people risk everything to help a stranger and seek nothing in return. There's no indication that this guy, he doesn't say to the innkeeper, here, I give you a blank check and make sure the guy knows my name. Here's my card. I want, I want him to know who I am and, and he owes me a favor. There's none of that. He doesn't need any attention. He doesn't need anything given back to him. He's willing to risk to help the stranger. Are you willing to take a risk and help those in need? 
You willing to get outside your comfort zone and help someone you see? Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Whether it's online or in person, don't forget to do good. While you're having a debate about politics or you're having a discussion about this or that or the Bible said this or didn't say that, whatever it is, don't forget to do good and to share with others, to take a risk on people who can never give you something in return. Hebrews says, for such sacrifices, God is pleased. Why? Because those are Christ-like sacrifices. That's what it means to love like Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I got up, and at 5.30 in the morning, I began to teach on a Zoom call. It wasn't a normal Zoom call. It was the most unusual Zoom call I've had this entire time of COVID since Zoom became such a big deal. I was talking to pastors in Iran through one of our partners. There were about 10 to 15 of them on the other end, and they were there on Zoom. We kept it brief, and I was trying to encourage and, and just speak into their hearts and lives. And, I, and then I prayed for them, and then some of them prayed for me. And it, it, was, it was incredible. And these are individuals who don't even know each other's names because if one pastor's arrested in this place, the Iranian authorities will require them or torture them and beat them in prison to give up the names of others. And so they don't even know the others' names who they're on the Zoom call with. And here I was speaking into their lives. And these are people who've been willing to risk everything to get the gospel, to share a, a New Testament in Farsi with someone else in their country. And the church in Iran is exploding. And it's another area in which we have seen that need cross our path. And we've stepped into that. And one of our partners we're going to fund through the Christmas offering in, in January is a, a partner that's actively engaged in ministry there. I got off that one hour and just was so blessed by being with those brothers and sisters in Christ. Then, then I got on another call with, with Iranian pastors that are in Turkey. They've been, they've been exiled. They were in prison and told to get out of the country. And I had an opportunity to, again, speak words of encouragement. They prayed over me and some of them had been in prison five, six months, had been isolated, had been, had been uh, deprived of food and water so they would share who other pastors were and these again are people who are willing to sacrifice so much to help people who could never help them in return are you willing to love more people to that extent risk everything to help a stranger and seek nothing in return fifth and finally we see in this story of the good samaritan and the answer to who is my neighbor that those who love more people embrace everyone as a part of life's journey and see no one as a task to be completed. I have a to-do list that I work with my assistant and I try to keep track of those things and I'm marking things off. If I don't have a list, I'll, I'll, I'll forget what to do. But as I do that, I don't want it to be about people. You just mark people off the list because when you help someone, you step into their life, you become a part of their life journey and they become a part of your life journey. And that's what happens here. This, this Samaritan embraces this Jewish man as a part of his life journey and he doesn't see him just as, okay, I helped him with bandages. I can go along now. I gave him something to drink. No, he takes him into town. He takes him in keeper. And he doesn't just say, I put him up in a place. He, he cares for the man. The next day, verse 35 says, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any ex extra expense you may have. I'll reimburse you. He makes this a part of his life journey to care for this man. This man he doesn't know. Perhaps this man who couldn't even communicate with him. 
he makes this man a part of his life journey and he becomes a part of that man's life journey. He's not just marking it off. Got him to the end, checked it off. When we engage people with the love of God and we love more people, people beyond the normal folks we associate with, we, yes, invest ourselves and we join their journey and invite them to join our journey, even if it's for a season, even for a time. We don't just say, oh, we did what we're supposed to do. We mark that off, our to-do list. We say, here's a person who needs life-on-life love. A couple of weeks ago, when we talked about our local and global outreach, I loved hearing the story. I want to share with you again the story of what's happened since the fires of two years ago. It's been two years since the Woolsey and Hill fires moved through our area. The Woolsey fire devastating so much of our area right here, going all the way into Malibu. And uh, there have been a lot of folks who were out of their homes. And you gave, and a lot of you volunteered. We filled sandbags so the mud wouldn't come and destroy more. And, and we roll up our sleeves, and we knew back then we were going to be in this for the long haul. These weren't people who were going to say, oh, we sandbagged their home, mark it off. Oh, we cleaned up, mark it off. We can move on now. It's been three months. No, we've been walking that journey. And there are some folks who've needed people to walk with them through the FEMA stuff, through the insurance stuff, through the nuts and bolts of getting a new place on their piece of land. We've helped several individuals get into their homes and a great team of individuals have walked this journey with, with a number of these uh, dear folks who've been out of their homes and we've seen them get into their homes and we've walked with them even to get furniture, even to get the supplies. We've helped people move out and move in. And then there's one lady who's been a part of Calvary for a number of years. Her name is Martha. Uh, dear sweet Martha, she's been a part of the choir in the past. You might recognize her. And, you know, Martha, in the Woolsey fire two years ago, her home was destroyed. I mean, this is her home after the fire. It was gone. And we continue to walk, walk with Martha. Uh, like this, this Samaritan man who engaged in the journey of this Jewish man, we have engaged in the journey with these folks. We engage in the journey with the folks who come to Fresh Market. Collectively as a church, we continue to walk forward with people. We don't just mark people off that, yes, we've done something in their life. We are life on life, sharing the love of Christ with more people so that more people can come to Jesus and join us in this journey of living and loving like Jesus too. Now, all that got cleared away through various resources. That was all cleared away. And we walked with Martha as then a... A uh, mobile home was placed on there. An RV, a camper, was placed on her property where she currently lives on her land in that. And we are walking with her forward now as plans are being made for her to have a new home on that property on that same section of land that you just saw the, the RV on. Uh, Martha is one of those individuals, uh, there are dozens, there are hundreds, that through our various ministries, whether it's our care ministry, our outreach ministry, our missions ministry, our, our different family ministries to children and students, or worship ministry, there are people walking the journey forward. We do that collectively as a church. And we need to be doing that individually as followers of Jesus Christ, investing in people's lives to walk the journey forward with them as we see them in their need. Let me ask you, is loving more people an everyday way of life for you? Is loving more people, or do you just sort of hunker down to your own? It's so easy during COVID. It's so easy with all the controversies. It's so easy with all the tension and disagreements, with, with the, the division in our country, to hunker down and just care about your own family, your own little group of friends and coworkers, and never be, get beyond that bubble. But when you love God more, as we talked about last week, with your whole, you love him with everything you've got, your, all your mind, soul, heart, and strength. 
then you're going to look around and say, all right, I got to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's love one another, even if we disagree. And when we love people more, and then we've got to look for more people to love. We need to be recentered and refocused on what God has for us. As you love more people, you got to assume everyone is your neighbor and no one is your enemy. You got to value everyone in your path and see no one as an obstacle. You got to risk everything to help a stranger and seek nothing in return. You got to be willing to embrace others as a part of your life journey like the Good Samaritan and see no one as a task just to be completed. Is loving more people an everyday way of life for you? It needs to be for us as a church collectively, and we're working on that. And as you pray, as you serve, as you give, God is allowing us to reach more people with the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel. And then individually in my life and your life, we need to be living this out every day. If not in person, we need to be doing it online. We need to change our approach to what we say and how we interact with others. We need to show up online and in person with the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Our world is hungry and desperate, and we have the answer. Let's make it an everyday way of life to love more people with the radical love of Jesus. Let's make sure we are loving more people for Christ. Father, help me to not pass by others. Thank you for the conviction you brought when I was so willing just to pass by those folks in a broken down U-Haul in a parking lot. Help me to notice people in my neighborhood. Help me to notice people online. Help me to notice people who get a rude comment. Even if I disagree with them, may I be able to speak into their life love we're so afraid that they'll misunderstand and that, that, that love will somehow say something we don't want it to say. Love is so powerful. Your son demonstrated that love turns enemies into friends. Help us to love people it's hard for us to love. Help us to get beyond our own comfort zones and to love more people. Thank you that you so love the world that you sent Jesus for me for us, for those people who will come across our path. Use us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing God So Loved. This comes right from John 3.16 and I hope this is your heart as you go into this next week that you're ready to love more people with the radical love of Jesus Christ.